service today. And Genesis chapter number 45 again is where we are starting. At the risk of sounding like an old man shaking my fist and yelling, get off my lawn, um, I will just say there is a lot that is not to like about social media. And again, I'm not trying to sound like an old man and shaking my fist and saying, get off my lawn here. For all of you youngins, don't roll your eyes at me like my sons just did. Uh, (laughs) We all know and have seen, of course, that that is the case. But one of the things that there is to like, I think, is that we have been inundated with a, a proliferation of viral videos, often showing a homecoming. Again, often between a, a deployed soldier and their child. Sometimes the soldier goes to the school and even dresses in a school mascot costume. Sometimes he simply knocks on the front door of the house and his child opens. Or whatever the case is, these videos do a great job of capturing the joy and Emotions that are there at the reunion of these loved ones of a father or mother and their son or daughter. And it, it really is a, a thing that sparks these emotions. It sparks these feelings. And again, in case you're asking, I'm not crying, you're crying. There's dust in the air. It's not my tears that are flowing. But it is a really a, a wonderful picture and always great to see it. And of course, I think the reason for that is more than just the dramatics of the film clip. You know, it's, yeah, it's wonderful when you're going to whatever school with the lion mascot and dad pulls off the hood or pulls off the mask or whatever and there he is. Under the lion face, it's dramatic when you have a big box on the front porch and he pops out and just like a jack-in-a-box scares you half to death and whatever. But it, but it's more than just these dramatic things. It's also, I think, a longing that each and every one of us has in our hearts for for home, for family, for reunion, for this bringing back together that's placed in the hearts of every human being. And of course, long before social media, the longing was still there. That's why you know these words that I'm about to quote to you, even though it's the middle of May and summer begins next week. His words are, I met a man who lives in Tennessee it was heading for, all right, we got one. I think we got a new singer on the worship team here. 
Pennsylvania and some home-baked pumpkin pie, right? And lots of road work and barrels everywhere and way too expensive gas, whatever. I don't know. Some Pennsylvania folks are traveling. What, what is he saying in that song? Is there something magical about the pumpkin pie that five miles east of us, it's not as good? No, it's, of course, that nostalgia, the longing. It's in the heart of every human being, regardless where they are in life. We have reached in our journey of Joseph a dramatic conclusion. We're not taking the time to read every word of the last few chapters, and we won't today since we're covering 45 and 46, but the sentiment of which I am talking about is as real as those videos, as real as the song at Christmas time. You see this story. Here's a man who is the second most powerful person in the world at that time. And yet, a sentiment, a longing for home is in Joseph's heart. And as we've seen that day, that fatal day shows up. He is there, no doubt, up early in the morning dealing with this long line of people coming saying, we need food. We need food. What do you have to pay for your food? How much food do you need for your family? Person after person after person. The same thing. No doubt just blurring in his mind as he sees individual after individual. And yet one group comes, as he says, next. And here are ten men looking for food. Of course, Joseph immediately knows who they are, and he's immediately hit with the longing for home for his father. Of course, he knows when he saw his brothers last. He remembers the last scene that was in his mind. Maybe it was the troop gathering for deployment, and you grab them one last time, and you say one last tearful farewell. That's not the case here. The last picture in his mind is him crying out, don't do this to me. And Simeon, Levi, Judah, whoever it is, taking the money from this caravan and saying, yeah, that's a good price. Take him, he's yours. The last picture was his brother sitting down and eating lunch and laughing and passing out his redemption price, his sell price among each other. As these strangers take him away bound in chains. He knows what they did to him. And so as we discussed last week, he, he begins to test them and to see what is in their hearts, to see if there's true repentance and sorrow for the actions they had committed. These men demonstrate that yes, we have found repentance. We realize that the mistakes that we made were great. This leads Joseph to take the actions we find in chapter 45. And so we begin here with our first point this morning is that 
Joseph. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He reveals himself again. As I said, the, the brothers had demonstrated a heart of repentance. This is done through Judah who told their father Jacob that he would be responsible for the life of Benjamin, Joseph's fully biological brother. Jacob, of course, did not want to send him. He was the youngest. He was the last survivor, the last connection between him and Rachel, the woman that he loved. And Yet Joseph is requiring that Benjamin come down and, and Jacob is telling his sons, why did you tell them that I have another son? And, and Judah says, look, just let me take responsibility. Again, a difference in attitude. Realizing that repentance requires responsibility. And so when Joseph attempts to arrest Benjamin, Judah stands up with an impassioned plea in Genesis 44, verse 34. How can I go back? How can I go back to my father? The boy is not with me. I fear to see what would happen to my father. Again, Joseph welcomes Benjamin. He restrains his emotions and, and, and he gives the brothers all of the food that they need and, and sticks in the, in the sack that Benjamin is carrying his very own cup that he drinks from and that he uses there, his own personal mug, if you would. And as they start out of town, Joseph's servants catch up to them and say, look, why did you take his cup? We didn't take it. Of course, they began to search, and Benjamin is found with the sack. He did not take it. Joseph wants to see, and Judah again proves his repentance. I cannot go back to my father. Take my life instead. This leads again, as I said, to chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself. Before all of those that stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And we, we realize in chapter 44 and in 43, that Joseph is having a hard time. He's finally seen these guys after over 20 years. And, and now we're told finally the dam is breaking in his life. He cannot control it. The tears are welling up. The face is turning red. The rivers are undammed in his eye ducts. Everyone go out from me. He wept aloud in so much that everyone knew that Pharaoh was crying. This picture is amazing. Isn't it? it's, not a, it's not a sniffle when a child falls and they're really okay, but you're looking at them and so they want your sympathy and so they, they start turning on the crocodile tears. This is a loud weeping. In so much that all around the executive offices of Pharaoh's palace, people are knowing, hey, there is something going on with Joseph. He is not acting himself. He is on the floor welling. It's 
something wrong with him. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Brothers, brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed. They were dismayed at his presence. The ESV I'm reading from says dismayed. Version may say terrified. Whatever the word is, the word indicates the panic that seizes a person when surprised by obvious doom. And look on your face when you know this is not going to go well. Something is very wrong. The same term describes the visible alarm that Saul exhibits when he sees the apparition of Samuel in 1 Samuel 28. He's waiting for God to answer him and God is silent and he calls for Samuel and the witch of Endor pulls up a ghost which looks like Samuel. Saul is dismayed. He knows his fate is sealed. The brothers here are staggered at his presence. They don't know what to make of this bizarre claim. How does this guy know about Joseph to begin with, much less claim to be Joseph? You've given up on someone as being dead. And now he has appeared, and he's appeared in a place that you would have never have imagined that he has appeared, in a place, by the way, that can hurt you. Joseph holds all the power. He holds all of the cards. And they think if this is really him, we are in deep trouble, aren't we? These guys are stunned. They're dismayed. Filled with fear and dread, but this moves me on to my second point this morning. It moves me on to my second point, Joseph. Joseph reveals the real reason. What is the real reason for their actions? Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Scares him after death because, again, all this guilt that we talked about last few weeks is showing up in their lives. But notice that he begins to show them the real reason for why they did what they did to him. Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. I am the one you sold into Egypt. Verse 5 then says, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been the land these two years and there you have five years. Which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You see those words again? It was God. It was God who sent me here. It was God who has done this. It was not you. It was God who was orchestrating the events of my life for a greater purpose. These guys are scared to death. They know what they did to this man. 
They know the guilt that is there because of what they have done to him. And yet Joseph is telling them, it was not you. It was God himself who has sent me to preserve life. It is God who has sent me to preserve this remnant. It is God who has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now you begin to see the reason for the slavery in Potiphar's house. You begin to see the reason for the time spent in jail. Joseph again is saying God is preparing him for three distinct roles to be a father to Pharaoh. You think about all of these young men that are incarcerated that Joseph had the privilege of mentoring and helping and guiding and shaping them. Joseph is ruler of the house of Pharaoh, lord over his house in charge of all of the people that are working there in the palace, working in the White House, if you would. I don't know what they called it back then, but here he is again, ruling the house of Potiphar, ruling this prison, being the chief executive of these places. More importantly, ruler over all the land. God was using these situations in Joseph's life to shape him and prepare him. That is why Joseph was able to look at Pharaoh and said, look, there is a famine coming. Here is what you need to do. It wasn't because Joseph was super smart. It's because God had molded and shaped and prepared him through those years of desolation. I like what this commentary said about Joseph's situation. It said, Joseph told his brothers that God had sovereignly brought him to Egypt to prepare for their deliverance from the famine. His words formed some of the classic statements on providence. That is God's working and orchestrating in our life. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. It was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph could look back on it all and know that God had been working through all the circumstances to bring him to this point. That he thought this when he was in a cistern. Or an Egyptian jail was unlikely, but the certainty that God's will, not any humans, is the controlling reality in every event comes here as the basis for reconciliation. If it is not God at work, then one might feel free to affix blame on others, but the one who is spiritual can perceive the hand of God in every event and therefore is able to forgive those who wrong them. It is essential. It is essential that people who serve the Lord cultivate a healthy understanding an application of the sovereignty of God. Those are such great and powerful words when you realize God is ultimately at work in our lives. We sit there so many times and we think, well, if it wasn't for so-and-so, and man, I, it's just he's to blame and she's to blame. And we don't stop and we don't think maybe God is working in our life. 
way that we don't even see or realize. Do you see and understand the hand of God at work? Do you realize that God is working in your life even when you can't understand, even when everything seems to be going with you, against you, I should say, when we, when we understand it's ultimately not us, it is God who is working for our good and for His glory. This is not to say that we don't have responsibility. Yes, His brothers were responsible for what they did to Him. His brothers had to give an account for the actions that they committed against Joseph all those years. But dare I say that some churches today and maybe some here this morning are holding on to bitterness and resentment, anger against someone either in the church or maybe out there in the world. Someone who we think has done us dirty. Someone who we think has wronged us. We're holding on to it and we're not realizing that God was working. God is working in our life. God is orchestrating our life to bring us to where we are this day. You don't understand. My life has been horrible. My life has been bad. Yeah, maybe I don't understand the details. I know Joseph spent untold years in slavery in Potiphar's house and he spent years in, in, in a prison for a crime he did not commit. And through it all, God was moving and working in a special way. Am I telling you this morning that you're going to be the vice president of our country? Well, I would vote for you if you would, so don't worry. I'm not giving you any campaign money, so it's going to have to be God, not you or me. But I am saying this. Step back and realize that God, maybe you have a purpose. Maybe God will reveal it to you. Maybe He'll just open up the heavens and you'll get a vision or a lightning bolt. Maybe He won't. And all you're going to do is get up tomorrow in the same place. But oh, that you began to realize, God, you are working even when I can't see you. Even when I can't see you. Joseph reveals himself to family. Is reunited. Verse 21, Joseph sends his brothers home with as much goods as he can. Especially Benjamin, his biological, full-blooded brother, gives them, heaps upon them good after good. Can I help as we move along in this chapter, commenting on verse 24. He sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Amazing, Joseph remembers his brothers, doesn't he? You guys go home, go get our father, but don't act like you used to act like. Stop fighting like a bunch of petulant children. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He reveals the reason for the past 20 years. My final point this morning, Joseph Joseph reunites. 
He reunites with his father. He tells his brothers to go. Tell our father, I am yet alive. He sends them on to, to go and, and, and to find Jacob and to bring him down. And, and here he is reuniting with him. In verse 25 of chapter 45, they went up out of Egypt. They came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob and they told him Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt and his heart became numb because he did not believe him. You can't. You can't just go to someone and say, yes, he is alive. I know you've mourned for him. You've accepted that he was dead. You've spent 20 years mourning the loss of your son. But really, he is alive. And you can just imagine the, the angst in Jacob's heart. In verse 27, when they told him all the words of Joseph, but she had said to them when he saw the wagons and Joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and I will see him. Seize these wagons. He sees. Sees all the gifts sent by Joseph. He sees all the good things that Joseph has poured out to him. And Jacob realizes, my son is alive. Chapter 46, Israel took his journey with all that he had. He came to Beersheba. He offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. And he said, Jacob... Jacob, and he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God. I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Can you imagine hearing that? You know, we know that Joseph, Jacob had seen these visions from God. A couple of times God had appeared to Jacob. A couple of times God had, had shown him even this ladder. Climbing up Jacob's ladder, right? He had shown him. Shown himself to him. But we don't have any, any word, any record of God speaking to Jacob. In the time Joseph is sold in slavery until now. Maybe Jacob has shut out God. Maybe God in His providence again is being quiet and silent. But here he is, a new man, born again if you would. And God begins to speak to him one more time. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My plan that I gave to your grandfather Abraham and to your father Isaac and I showed to you all those many years ago that you will be a great nation. It will come to pass. On that day when you breathe your final breath, 
your son that you thought was dead and lost. Close your eyes in death. We're told in verses 5 through 27 of all of Jacob's household and all. All who went down to Egypt. We come to verse 28 and we read these words here. And Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. Judah goes on to prepare the way, to open the way, to tell Joseph that he is coming. And they come into the land of Goshen where they are to reside. Verse 29, Joseph prepares his chariot. He goes to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck. And he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. I've seen your face. And you are alive. With that, the circle is complete. Twenty years of pain, frustration, heartache that Joseph has gone through is wiped away. Twenty years of grief and sorrow that Jacob has carried that has closed his heart and hardened his heart and and brought upon him a form of death, if he would, is, is gone away. It's gone in an embrace that no viral video can ever ever capture and you can only imagine you can only imagine what it is like on that day Jacob and Joseph are reunited once again there are two great truths to learn in this story of course we know that there's reconciliation that can occur between families friends whoever because of the work of Christ in their lives. Someone told me, you know, that their father wasn't a great father growing up. Now in their later years, the relationship is different. Christ has come and brought healing and reconciliation. Those stories are, are worth celebrating every bit as much as a long-lost soldier coming home from his deployment. It is so good when, when God works reconciliation between husband and wife and mother and daughter and father and son and brother and sister. More important than the reconciliation that occurs between us and our fellow man is the work, the work of reconciliation that Christ does to reunite us with our Father. Think about the analogies that are inherent in this story. As Joseph is separated from his father, so you and I have been separated from God. We are separated from our Heavenly Father. Not because of something our brothers have done, but our own actions, our own sins. Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Just as Jacob had deadness in his heart because this separation that has occurred, so it is. You and I were dead. Separated from God. Nothing to bring us back together with Him. No hope. But yet when we were dead, here comes the son. Joseph the son is being used to bring reconciliation to his family. Joseph, by virtue of all that he has suffered over the last several years, is used to bring healing and life to his father, reconciliation to his family. And so it is we read of another son. Another son who suffers for sins he had never committed. For crimes he was not guilty of. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. God's son suffers in Jerusalem. More than imprisonment, more than slavery, he suffers death. Again, Ephesians verse, chapter 2, verse 4. But God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because Joseph the son suffered Jacob is brought back to life because the Son of God suffered on the cross. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God has made us alive in Christ. Again, Genesis 45 verse 27 tells us, when Jacob saw the wagons that Joseph had sent, the Spirit Spirit of the Father revived. Visions 2, 5, when we were dead, God has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And now we are simply waiting, aren't we? Waiting to see the wagons. Waiting to see the rider on the white horse. Waiting to see that day come when I hear that trumpet sound and I am reunited with Him once again forever. Verse 6 of Ephesians 2, God has raised us up with Him. He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, showed that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. 
It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. These guys didn't deserve to be cared for. These guys didn't deserve all the finest that Egypt had to offer. They deserved death. They deserved punishment. They deserved the worst that can be given to them. But because of the grace that Joseph displays, men who deserve punishment for their heinous actions are given treasures and gifts and precious promises. Pharaoh says, I will watch over you. I will care for your family. And he does for decades cares for them. In the middle of a drought-stricken world, they know the blessings and pleasures of riches of Pharaoh's palace. We have been given. We have been given, according to Ephesians 1, all heavenly blessings in Christ Jesus. God has lavished upon us the riches of His love and His mercy and His grace. Why? Because we deserve it? Because we're special? No. Our sins have separated us from God. Just as Joseph loved his brothers and his father, so God so loved this world that He was willing He was willing to give His only begotten Son. You may be here again this morning and you're looking at the situation of your life and you're thinking, I I don't understand. I don't know why things are working out the way they are. I wish I could have an answer for you. I mean, I I have an answer and I believe it's true. God is providential. God is sovereign. God is working for your good and for His glory. And I'll stand on that, but sometimes it's hard to accept that. It's hard to hear that. You're going through this trial. But you want to know why I can say that and stand on it? Because I see in Joseph a son who is willing to die in my place, a son who is willing to give himself in my place. And I know that when I was an alien from God and his wrath was being poured out upon me, Christ stepped in and said, I will take your place. How can I ever doubt the love of God for me? How can I ever doubt even in the midst of the fiery furnace that God is not there, that He is not with me? How can I look at the mouth of the lion who is ready to eat me and say that God is not with me? He has given everything so that I might have reuniting with the Heavenly Father. I'm here to tell you this morning, not that everything's going to go away, not that the trial is going to vanish because you came. I hope it does. 
I'm here to tell you one day we will see him face to face. We will be with him forever and ever. And everything that you are facing right now, you will think nothing of it. By and by when the morning comes and all the saints of God are gathered home, we are going to tell the story of how we've overcome. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, yeah, my plant shut down. I was without a job. But you know what? God brought me through. You're going to sit there and you're going to say, yes, the doctor told me I had terminal cancer. But God brought me through. Even when the pain was so real, I could barely do anything except take morphine. God brought me through. You might sit there one day and say, yes. They came into that church and said we were preaching about Jesus and they were going to kill us. And they lined us up one by one and shot us simply because we preached about Jesus. And yet God brought us through. It will be worth it all. And so I hope you see this morning. I hope you see this morning if you're dead and your trespasses and sin that God is calling you out. He's calling you back to life to receive the gift of His Son. I hope you're reminded this morning that in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that fiery furnace, that the things you're going through, God has not abandoned you. He still loves you. Finally, I hope you remember all the pain and heartache that you're facing. But it will not amount to anything when you throw your arms around your Savior and you weep on that beautiful morning. You can only imagine what it will be like. And let's bow our heads and pray today, shall we? Father, we don't understand Your ways. We don't see Your purposes. We don't see Your plans. Sometimes all we see is the struggle, the grief, the pain. Help us to realize, even as Joseph did, that God, You are orchestrating, that You are guiding and shaping And help us to understand because of the great love that you have for us. That your son has made a way. He has reconciled us with God. And now all we're doing is waiting on those wagons to appear in the sky. All we're doing is waiting for that trumpet to sound. Realizing in that day It is worth it all. If you're here this morning, your head's still bowed. You don't know Christ as your Savior. Imagine, if you would, the love that you have for your child.
for your mother or father. Multiply that by infinite millions. Understand that's how great God's love is for you. Paul said in Romans 8, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not freely give us all things? This is how much God loves you. Challenge you today to receive it. Accept Him as Savior. Be reconciled back with Him. Again, if you're here in the midst of that trial and that fiery furnace and you don't know what to do, understand one day you will close your eyes. Maybe your son will be there. Maybe your daughter will be there. Your husband, your wife. Most of all, the Son of God will be there. He will escort you home to be with Him forever. You hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You will say, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Don't lose heart now. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. And the wagons are coming. Blessed day is coming. You will see him again. And Father, haste that day. Your faith will be high. Jesus has overcome. The grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. You are risen from the dead and we will rise. We look forward to that day. Pray it in Jesus' name.